Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, breaking news. Trump appealing the decision that got him kicked off the ballot in Maine as another state Supreme Court weighs in. Plus, Harvard's first black president steps down amid allegations of plagiarism and disastrous congressional testimony. Was race also a factor? And an exchange student in the U.S. falls victim to an elaborate kidnapping plot, one that cost his terrified family $80,000. Tonight, a warning from the FBI that he is not alone. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erica Hill, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, breaking news, Trump appeals. The former president's legal team appealing the decision that keeps him off the ballot in Maine, saying the secretary of state there had no legal authority to remove him from the ballot, calling her a, quote, biased decision maker who should have recused herself and otherwise failed to provide lawful due process. Trump's team is also expected to appeal Colorado's decision, which bans him from that state's ballot. He's expected to appeal that to the Supreme Court at any moment, following in the steps of Colorado's GOP. Now, those decisions are based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was, of course, passed after the Civil War, and says a person is ineligible to run if they, quote, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. And now, tonight, another state weighing in. Oregon's highest court asking Trump and a liberal advocacy group for more details about the case to block the former president from the state's primary contest. These cases involving the 14th Amendment could put the nine Supreme Court justices squarely at the center of the 2024 election, forcing them to decide, and to decide quickly by Supreme Court standards, whether to rescue or possibly sink Trump's 2024 political ambitions. Time is really a major factor here. The primaries for both Colorado and Maine are set for Super Tuesday in early March. And just for days now, you've heard Trump railing against those Colorado and Maine decisions, calling them desperate attempts to rig the election. Evan Peros is out front live in Washington tonight. So, Evan, what more do we know about the arguments from Donald Trump's legal team tonight in this appeal in Maine? Well, one of the first things uh, that he tackles in this, or his legal team tackles in this in this filing today, Erica, is the fact that the, the former president says he's not actually an insurrectionist. Uh, taking that on uh, head on, which is the finding by the Maine Secretary of State, it's a finding by the Colorado Supreme Court, and it is one, of course, that's going to have to be fought in, in front of the Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court, that is. Uh, and the fact that, as you pointed out, uh, Oregon is now looking at a similar challenge, it, it tells you what the problem is for the former president. They're going to be fighting these types of battles in state after state unless the Supreme Court steps in and decides once and for all what really is the law here. Does the 14th Amendment apply to the status, the candidate as president, which is what one of the things that Trump mentions in his brief today. He says that the 14th Amendment does not apply to the office of the presidency. So uh, we anticipate that a similar argument, as you saw today uh, in this main decision, we'll see, we'll see a similar argument in the uh, case of Colorado 
And we expect that because there have been some states that have uh, decided in the opposite direction, Erica, that the Supreme Court will try to settle this once and for all, right? Because you have some states that have gone in the opposite direction saying that uh, these 14th Amendment uh, challenges don't really ha stand any ground. Uh, so we expect that the Supreme Court will have to make a final decision uh, in the coming weeks. And of course, we also know uh, the Supreme Court is likely to eventually have to consider whether Trump is immune in the other cases that he's facing uh, in the Jack Smith investigation. So plenty of action for the Supreme Court in the coming weeks. Yeah, Erica? We just need the Supreme Court to tell us whether they're going to take them up, right? Evan, appreciate right. it. Thank you. Uh, out front now, former Ambassador Norm Eisen. He's former counsel to House Democrats during the Trump impeachment trial. And Ben Ginsburg former national counsel for the Bush-Cheney campaigns. Good to see both of you tonight. Ben, in his main filing tonight, Trump called Secretary Bellows a, quote, biased decision maker, saying she should have recused herself. How effective is that argument for him? Well, the case is going to go to court, so I'm not sure it matters that much. But the fact of the matter is we have an oddity in our American election system where we elect partisan office holders in elections to do nonpartisan things. So it is a natural argument that is bound to come. And he has a point. He has a point. Norm, what about the fact that the state law of Maine said that she had to, if people file these petitions, right, as a secretary of state, she has to look at them. Was she just doing her job or did she, as Trump says in the filing, did she act beyond her authority? Um, I do not think that she acted beyond her authority, Erica. Um, and while I agree with Ben that we um, give these jobs, which uh, might well be done in a nonpartisan way to elected officials, I think it's a healthy thing that our democracy, the people of the United States, make choices uh, about uh, who is going to be resolving these kinds of momentous questions, in my view, she has the power to make this decision. Many other states, the secretary does not. In Maine, they do. And I think she's made a strong case that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection under the 14th Amendment and does not belong on the ballot. What the higher courts and the Supreme Court will do, that's a whole other question. <laughs> yeah, that, that it certainly is. It's quite the parlor game these days, too, as we wait to hear from them. I was struck by this new Washington poll, uh, Washington Post, rather, poll out today, which finds 46 percent of Americans say Trump's actions related to his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol should disqualify him from the presidency. And it's interesting because in August, CNN had a poll that asked that same question. At that time, 51 percent of respondents said he should be disqualified. Ben, do you think these 14th Amendment challenges are helping Donald Trump? Uh, yes, I actually do. I think the impeachment counts helped him. I think the 14th Amendment uh, actions are helping him. Look, I think the essential point with Donald Trump is that he needs to be defeated at the polling place by the voters. And partisan attempts to get rid of him by masquerading in supposedly uh, objective processes is absolutely backfiring. The most important priority for the country right now is to come together and heal. And these sort of partisan actions to go after Donald Trump, I think, are hurting that effort. And the poll, the Washington Post poll, uh, verifies that. When, while we wait, right, to hear from the Supreme Court, Norm, do you think there's any chance that the Supreme Court would not take up these cases? Uh, well, 
You never know what the Supreme Court is going to do. Uh, you have both sides asking for review in the Colorado 14th Amendment case. And you also have the question of whether Donald Trump is immune or not. There is polling data to the contrary um, that says that uh, once Donald Trump is convicted, if he is convicted, you see massive swings in the polls. I had an op-ed on this in the New York Times last week. In some polls, you see a swing of as much as 14 points. The American people understand the difference between allegations and findings. I do not think that the findings that Colorado or Maine made, switching back to the 14th Amendment mm -hmm. question, those were objective uh, findings of fact. Donald Trump did, did engage in serious conduct. There is a solid basis for them to adjudicate that he violated the 14th Amendment and does not belong on the ballot, even if the Supreme Court may or may not agree with them. Ben, is there a chance, uh, and I was speaking with uh, another very wise legal mind last week, who was saying to me he believes there's a chance that maybe they just do piecemeal here at the Supreme Court, and there's a chance that they may not actually weigh in on the 14th Amendment. Do you think that's a possibility? Well, it's, it's always a possibility. It's especially a possibility because the cases before it now involve primaries, and the Supreme Court's prior jurisprudence gives parties a great deal of leeway for selecting their candidates. That's different from the general election. But it is really essential that the Supreme Court deal with the issue head on uh, for the general election and certainly before the Electoral College votes are opened on January 6th, because one of the few things that members of Congress can do is object to the qualifications of a presidential candidate, and that is not an issue you want litigated for the first time on the congressional floor on January 6th. Yeah, um, there is a lot weighing on this. As we keep saying, it is so important, and so we will wait. Um, really appreciate your insight as always, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Up front next, a senior Hamas leader dead, raising fears of a widening war in the Middle East. This as Iran sends a naval destroyer to the Red Sea. Plus, Harvard's first black president resigns after facing mounting controversies, including botched congressional testimony and allegations of plagiarism. Was race also at play? Plus, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley taking aim at each other. Phony Ron DeSantis, too lame to leave. Tricky Nikki pretends she's tough on China. Attacking each other, but why not take on Trump? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, a senior Hamas leader is dead amid serious concerns the war in the Middle East is about to get bigger. Saleh al-Aruri, a top official in Hamas's military and political wings, killed in Beirut. Hamas says the leader was killed by an Israeli airstrike. Israel, however, is not taking responsibility. And this is all happening as Iran has dispatched a naval destroyer to the Red Sea. Tensions there escalating following a series of attacks by the Iranian-backed Houthi militia, including against the United States. And now the U.S. Navy has killed Houthis for the first time since this conflict broke out, sinking three Houthi boots at boats, rather, after being attacked in the Red Sea this weekend. Oren Lieberman is out front tonight. So, Oren, the U.S. really getting drawn further and further into this conflict. Iranian involvement clearly evident. What is the U.S. going to do next? Erica, the Biden administration's position is they don't want to see a regional escalation. They don't want to see a widening of the war. But clearly, it's not just up to the U.S. to make a unilateral decision in this case. The events we've seen over the course of the past couple days make a widening of the war and escalation a growing possibility. Not only, as you pointed out over the weekend, the U.S. military and U.S. attack helicopters sinking three Houthi fast attack boats that were going after a commercial vessel and killing the crews of those for the first time since the war, but also now the killing of Salah al-Aruri, a senior uh, Hamas militant, in Beirut. So the U.S. has to watch all of this. The U.S. does have the backing of an international coalition in the Red Sea, and that gives it essentially some weight here in its actions. The U.S. monitoring that Iranian Navy vessel that's in the Red Sea. From the U.S.'s position, it is an international waterway, a critical one at that. So they're allowed to be there, but the U.S. military will keep a very close eye on them as it watches where this all goes. For the killing of Salah al-Aruri, who you saw there with the Ayatollah, the leader of Iran, we've seen promises of revenge and condemnation from the Iranians, from Hamas, Hezbollah, and even some others. The question now, of course, what do they do? And they have a number of options, all of these Iranian proxies. Attack U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, go after U.S. vessels in the Red Sea with the Houthis there from Yemen, attack Israel. Iran doesn't really see much of a difference between the U.S. and Israel. So these are all possibilities that we have to watch out for and that the U.S. is watching out for. Now, as you note, Israel hasn't officially taken responsibility for the killing of Saleh al-Aruri in Beirut. Israeli officials have been a bit coy about this, but it is worth pointing to this tweet from Danny Danon, a current member of Knesset and the former Israeli ambassador to the U.N. He said on Twitter, I congratulate the IDF, the Shin Bet, the Mossad, and the security forces for killing senior Hamas official Salah al-Aruri in Beirut. Anyone who was involved in the October 7th massacre should know that we will reach them and settle the account with them. So, Erica, pretty clear there. It's also worth remembering that Benjamin Netanyahu promised Israel would go after Hamas leaders wherever they are. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Oren, appreciate the reporting as always. Thank you. Out front now, retired Army Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling. Uh, good to see you tonight. So let's pick up right there where, where Oren left off, the senior Hamas leader general who was killed by the strike in southern Lebanon, also a longtime military political leader in Hamas. How likely do you think some sort of retaliation is in the next 24 to 48 hours? 
this is what uh, Oren's reporting, first of all, Erica, has fin was phenomenal. But this is the kind of thing that the Biden administration has been worried about. They have been trying to repress any kind of expansion of this conflict. And this strike in Beirut uh, against a Hamas leader is, is not going to help that at all. You also have to consider that the Hezbollah leader, Nezrallah, has said that any strikes inside of Lebanon by Israel, uh, especially in Beirut, will cause serious repercussions for the Israelis. This is the Hezbollah leader. What Israel has been trying to do is not allow this to come into a multi-front war, but we're already seeing that. They are fighting hard in Gaza. They, are, they have been fighting hard in northern Israel against the uh, Hezbollah uh, terrorists coming out of the southern uh, Lebanon. They've now struck in Beirut. In Beirut. They've had these uh, missile attacks from Yemen. We've seen uh, PMF forces in Iraq and Syria continue to try and attempt to influence this operation. This is a this is a tinderbox right now, uh, Erica. Uh, and, and as we look at this tinderbox, too, as we look at the broader region here, the Iranian naval destroyer now heading to the Red Sea days after the U.S. sunk three Houthi ships, killing all on board. Can the U.S. at this point avoid getting drawn in deeper? It's, it's going to be challenging. Uh, it, it's going to depend on what that uh, Iranian naval vessel does in the Red Sea. Uh, that, that, those are international waters. There's a lot of transportation and, and uh, uh, elements going through that that are non-combatant. Uh, you know, the strike against the three Houthi rebel boats that tried to attack, attack the Maersk carrier the other day is an indicator of what the Iranians are attempting to do by putting a naval destroyer in this area, confronting an entire carrier uh, strike group from the United States is just it, it, it has the potential for explosive activity. And, and it's going to be very dangerous. The naval forces in that area are going to have to watch their step and be very careful about what they do. Um, I'd also like to get your take on what we're seeing in Ukraine. I mean, this really astounding number of Russian missile and drone attacks on Ukraine, at least 500 over the past five days. That's according to President Zelensky. We know at least five people killed today, at least 53, the number stands at now, killed from Friday's massive attacks. We are nearly two years now into this war. How do you read the message that Putin is sending to Ukraine? Well, first of all, from the tactical perspective, what Russia has been trying to do is, I'll use a basketball term, flood the zone. They are trying to put as many missiles in the air as they can, and they're all different types coming from multiple directions and multiple platforms, air, sea, and ground. Uh, they are some of the, the types of missiles. Uh, the, the hypersonic missiles are very uh, advanced, uh, but Ukraine has been very successful in shooting most of them down. Today's uh, activity, Ukraine was very successful. But what I would say is two things are happening. First of all, Russia is continuing their strategic approach to try and affect Ukrainian uh, infrastructure, to make it a harsh winner for Ukrainian citizens, to continue to say, even though the United States and others may be balking, we're still going to attack Ukraine. And what's happening from the Ukrainian side is they just don't have enough air defense to cover everything. You know, air defense are points, weapon systems, Erica. That means they have to be placed in a location to guard a specific target. So that means you can't defend everywhere. So the reason Russia is attacking so many different targets is they are trying to figure out where uh, Ukraine is soft 
and where they have their defenses. Mm. And I think that's going to continue on for the next couple of days. Uh, and it's, it just shows the importance of the United States uh, getting the Congress back and passing this bill, which will give uh, uh, more ammo and arms to Ukraine during this period of time. This is a critical period. Lieutenant General Mark Hurling, always appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Out front next, breaking news. Senator Menendez facing charges of bribery connected to another country now. So why is he still getting classified briefings? Plus, the dramatic video of a jet bursting into flames after colliding with another plane. How all 367 on board that passenger plane made it out alive with just seconds to spare. Breaking news, new charges against Senator Bob Menendez. The New Jersey Democrat is now accused of accepting bribes in exchange for helping Cutter, including tickets to the Formula One Grand Prix. He was also offered an expensive watch, according to the allegations. Menendez, of course, is already facing bribery-related charges in connection to Egypt's government, allegedly accepting gold bars, half a million dollars in cash, and a brand-new Mercedes convertible. His trial is scheduled for May. Menendez has pleaded not guilty. Manu Raju is out front. So Manu, not only is Menendez uh, not stepping down, he is still receiving classified briefings. What's happening there? Yeah, that's right. In fact, he gets all the full privileges of a United States Senator despite facing these charges. This is coming, the superseding indictment, adding to the already serious allegations that he had faced in the first indictment. That first indictment talking about how he allegedly uses power to assist the Egyptian government corruptly, according to the indictment. This saying he tried to help the Qataris, as well as trying to help a real estate developer, a developer from New Jersey who was trying to get millions of dollars from a fund tied to the Qatari government. That same developer allegedly gave him give him gifts such as a luxury gold watch as well as some a gold bar in exchange for help from the senator who allegedly took official action to promote some of the actions of the Qatari government. This scheme allegedly happened up until 2023. Now, tonight, the senator is put in from his camp, putting out a statement attacking these allegations, according to his attorney, Adam Fee, saying the government's new allegations stink of desperation. What they have insisted is a string of baseless assumptions and bizarre conjectures based on routine, lawful contacts between a senator and his constituents or foreign officials. Those interactions were always based on his professional judgment as to the best interests of the United States because he is and always has been a patriot. Now, the question is, will that fly with his colleagues? So far, most Senate Democrats have called on him to resign. The one person who has not, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who just a few weeks ago, I asked Schumer about Menendez still attending these classified briefings. He said it is his right as a senator to do so. I should ask Menendez himself. Menendez has defended his actions and has de denied this and said that he can attend those briefings and, and act as a United States senator just as he did before he was charged. And also a big question tonight, Erica, he is up for re-election this year. Many of his colleagues do not want him to run. So far, Menendez has not said whether or not he'll be in the ballot in his state of New Jersey later this year. Mani Raju, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, also tonight, there are calls for protests after Harvard's president resigned earlier today. Claudine Gay, Harvard's first black president, stepping down after just six months on the job amid plagiarism allegations and nearly a month after her widely criticized testimony at a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism. That is when she and two other Ivy League presidents failed to fully condemn calls for genocide against Jews. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? 
It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's so targeted at Jewish that. students, Jewish individuals. Gay later apologized for her testimony, but as the backlash continued, she began to face new charges of plagiarism, forcing her to submit corrections for a pair of articles published in 2001 and 2017, in addition to her PhD dissertation from 1997. While Harvard found there were inadequate citations, they did not reach the university's threshold for research <coughs> misconduct. Yet now, nearly a month later, she is resigning, writing in a statement, it has been, quote, distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Out front now, Bakari Sellers, former Democratic South Carolina state representative, and Scott Jennings, former senior advisor to Mitch McConnell. Good to see both of you tonight. Bakari, you see much more at play here, more than her testimony and miscitations. Do you think she should have stayed on? Well, first and foremost, I, I think that it's this is a very nuanced issue. The first thing is you have to state and, and say that she was below par at her testimony. Many of those presidents were below par. I'm not even sure why they went. They gave a lot of legal answers to moral questions, and that was just not appropriate. So that's first. The second thing, though, is these, these issues of plagiarism, the piling on that we've seen, uh, the accusations of plagiarism, plagiarism, I should say, and the piling on, yes, it is rooted in racial animus. Should she have resigned? The answer is no. The answer is no. And I'm disappointed that she did. The fact is, you have a lot of individuals who are coming and questioning her scholarly credentials who cannot hold a candle to her. They're questioning whether or not she just got the job because of the color of her skin. They're calling her an affirmative action hire. This woman deserves more respect than that. She got that respect from our colleagues in academia. But now you just see the piling on and you see individuals who, who, who should not be in this arena having this conversation. The last thing I'll say about this is one of the great American phenomenons is the ability for mediocre white men to succeed. And what we're seeing is a lot of mediocrity, particularly in conservative ranks, piling on to uh, 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 the former president of, of Harvard University at this time. And I just it infuriates me because this woman deserves more respect, even though she fumbled tripped and fell in that congressional hearing. Scott, you've taught at Harvard and you think she did screw up, but was a resignation or firing, do you think the only answer here? Well, I, I think it was long overdue, frankly. And I agree with Bakari, actually. She does deserve respect. She deserves the respect to be held to the same standards that any university would hold its students to. And she obviously fell short of that. But to go back to the hearing, I also agree with Bakari. Uh, but in stronger terms, I would just say this was an epic disaster. When they went and could not, all these presidents, including Professor Gay, when they could not clearly denounce genocide, when they could not clearly denounce anti-Semitism, that to me was, an, was a, a moment that uh, should have ended her tenure right there. It should have ended the tenure of anyone sitting at a table who couldn't tell the American people that this is not acceptable on a college campus. I'll tell you what this has uncovered for a lot of parents. I'm one of them. And someday I hope to send four kids off to a college somewhere. I'm going to look hard at any college and how they are going to treat uh, this kind of hatred. And are they going to allow it to foment on a campus the way all these campuses and the Ivy League and, and in a lot of other places are doing? I think the failure at that hearing to me was a red flag that should have been taken action on at that moment. The plagiarism stuff, I mean, there's nobody at fault here but her. She has to answer for her own record. Uh, and uh, and there, by the way, there's a lot of conservative journalists 
uh, Rufo, Sabarium, the Washington Free Beacon, that deserve a lot of credit uh, for doing what other uh, media outlets would fail to do here. Harvard is our national flagship university. It has to be held to higher standards uh, than this. And so hopefully they'll get a new president who will meet up to those standards. Well, in talking about Sanders, Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, the Harvard alum who questioned Gay at that House hearing, taking a victory lap this afternoon, promising the, quote, robust congressional investigation will continue. The House Education Committee is investigating these plagiarism allegations, setting aside, right, the testimony, setting aside those issues the plagiarism, Bakari, why do you think there is such a focus from the House on this now? I mean, it's not like they don't have anything better to do, right? I mean, th- there's no there there. I mean, I- I've spoken to people who are smarter than I who've looked at these articles and say maybe uh, she correct. She did not annotate or cite properly. But this doesn't rise to the level of plagiarism. The fact is the people who she allegedly plagiarized from have raised no concern or no issue. This was not an issue throughout the rigor of vetting her to be the president of Harvard University. Do you think Harvard did not vet this young lady, did not vet her work? And so I just find this to be a nothing burger. But yet and still, there's something more there. I mean, we've seen this a lot when particularly women of color get into a level of power. People assume they should not be there. It goes from Kentonji Brown Jackson to Kamala Harris to Laura Coates to Abby Phillip. We now see it with the president of Harvard University. And so when you when you when you see that, you have to call it out for what it is. And no, I don't give credit to uh, Mr. Rufo from the Free Beacon. I think that his plagiarism claims, if you talk to scholars, do not rise up to that. They don't they don't rise up to that level. And should she correct those things? Yes, yeah, she should be held to that standard. But resignation should not be something that she had, she should have done. I wish she had more support from the university. But we're here now. Um, as we look at what is happening in Congress, right? So we know this investigation is happening. Scott, the reality is, too, that there are 17 days left to strike a deal to avert yet another government shutdown. Is this the best messaging right now in terms of use of time? <laughs> well, number one, it is a private university, but public money has flowed through there. Number two, it is our national flagship university. It's probably the most famous university in the world. And so do we have a vested interest in making sure that, you know, truth and Ethics are at the top of our national flagship university? Absolutely. All it took was one day and one hearing to expose the excusing of genocide and anti-Semitism that's going on on these campus. I think that is a great use of time. Parents in the United States of America need to understand what they're getting into at any university that fails to denounce genocide and anti-Semitism, period. It is rampant and it is coddled, and it is encouraged in some cases on these campuses. That's what was uncovered at that hearing. So yes, is this a good use of time? You're darn right, because there's parents all over this country who need to understand what they're getting into when their kids go there. And universities need to take this as a learning moment and as a moment to say, let's have some introspection here. Have we gotten so far off the rails that we can't see the uh, the problems that our own policies are causing on these campuses? Scott Jennings, Bakari Sellers, appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Out front next, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis stepping up their attacks on one another while avoiding any attacks on the front brother, Donald Trump. Is this strategy working for them? Harry Enten goes beyond the numbers. And an exchange student falls victim to a sophisticated kidnapping plot involving artificial intelligence, his family forking over $80,000. And tonight, the FBI says you should be on the lookout for more. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Tonight, dumpster fire, Tricky Nikki. Just a few of the names that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are using for each other less than two weeks before the Iowa caucuses, both also accusing the other of being weak on China. DeSantis called China Florida's most important trading partner. DeSantis even allowed a Chinese military contractor to expand just miles from a U.S. naval base. Only Ron DeSantis. Too lame to leave, too weak to win. Tricky Nikki pretends she's tough on China, but as governor, she promised to do whatever it takes to get Chinese companies set up in our backyard. And we just can't trust Tricky Nikki. So it's not in those ads. You probably noticed this. Any mention of the candidate who is leading soundly in the polls, Donald Trump. Harry Anson is out front to go beyond the number. So, Harry, you took a look at this. Um, I suppose it's a feud between Haley and DeSantis. They're going after each other. Is it working for either one of them in terms of a boost with their numbers? Yeah, I mean, look, in New Hampshire, perhaps. So, you know, we've obviously seen Nikki Haley go up there. But take a look at Iowa because that's the first in the nation contest. And what do we see there since October? Donald Trump's numbers have gone up. He now has an enormous lead, north of 30 percentage points with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley fighting it out for second place. I have to ask myself, what are they doing? Do they just think that second place is good enough? They want to be second fiddle? Because at the end of the day, you got to beat the leader. And at this particular point, Donald Trump has a larger lead going into the Iowa caucuses at this point than anybody since 1980 on the Republican side of the aisle. That is quite a lead and quite a number. If you're looking back that far, the one thing that Haley and DeSantis have started to hit Trump on now is that he's not going to participate yet again in this upcoming CNN uh, hey, debate. Hey. Is that effective? Do voters care if he's there or not at this point? I mean, some voters care, right? But they're the vast minority of voters. I mean, look, uh, there was a great poll question that was asked, essentially. Do you believe that skipping the debates makes Trump, in your eyes, stronger? Is it a strength? Is it a weakness? Or does it not matter? The vast majority of Republican primary voters say, meh, it doesn't matter. There's even a small portion of them who thinks it strengthens them. The people who say it's weakness, you see there in the poll, 24 percent, that's basically equal to his unfavorable rating among Republican voters. So the fact is, when you look at this data, all you're really seeing is that the people, the voters do not care that Trump's not participating in these debates. And that, of course, mirrors the polls in general, which show that Donald Trump has only become stronger, mm -hmm. not just in Iowa, but nationally as well right. since the debate started. Um, it's also interesting, some of the reporting we have today when it comes to the Biden campaign, that now there may be a little bit of a shift. Mm -hmm. They're going to look to hit Trump on being more extreme, right, more of a threat to democracy, maybe pulling back on trying to push Bidenomics. Effective? I, I don't think it's certainly not effective among the Republican base, right? We still got a long way to go until the general election. But if you look at the Republican base, there was a really interesting poll nugget that came out from a Washington Post poll that essentially is, do you believe that Biden's win in the 2020 election was legitimate mm -hmm. or illegitimate? Look at that illegitimate number. Not only is it the vast majority of Republican voters, but it has actually become an even larger majority over the last two years. 
What these numbers suggest is that Trump's stranglehold on the Republican Party is only becoming stronger, and what his opponents are doing is not working. Harry, appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Happy New Year. You as well. Thank you. Uh, just ahead on Thursday here, be sure to be with us for back-to-back -back CNN Republican presidential town halls. Ron DeSantis live from Iowa, hosted by Caitlin Collins at 9, and then Aaron will host a town hall with Nikki Haley at 10. Out front next, a college student found alive in Utah after an elaborate kidnapping plot. The FBI with a new warning tonight about how AI is being used in these crimes and what you may need to look out for. Plus, new video tonight of that passenger jet with hundreds of people on board that crashed into another plane. The miraculous stories of survival. Tonight, a teenager in Utah found alone in the woods. His family scammed out of 80 all of this after a sophisticated kidnapping plot. And it comes as kidnappers are often using AI technology, which the FBI warns they're getting better at using every day. David Culver, he's out front. Found cold, scared, but alive. Riverdale police in Utah seen here rescuing 17-year-old Kai Zhuang. Missing for three days, the Chinese exchange student had trekked to this backcountry area, sleeping in this tent, running low on food. With him, several cell phones. That's how police say virtual captors manipulated and controlled the teen, likely from thousands of miles away. They call it cyber kidnapping. The cyber kidnappers convince the victim under duress to take photos of themselves that make it appear they are being held captive and send the photos to their parents. In China, Zhuang's parents, equally terrified, unable to reach their son, reportedly receiving threatening messages and contacting his school in Utah. The reason why they have him seclude himself in the woods or away from somebody, everybody in society, is so they can continue to extort as much money as possible. In recent months, police across China warning Chinese students in and out of China that the scammers often impersonate officials. They then intimidate the international students with threats of immediate arrest, deportation, and harsh sentencing if they do not cooperate. Police advising students if they get a call like that, hang up immediately. Contact the Chinese embassy or consulate, your teachers and classmates at your school, or the local police. In November, Shanghai police reported a couple getting a threatening call while on a highway. They could hear their son's cries over the phone, the scammers demanding the equivalent of $70,000. While on the phone, the couple spotted a police officer at a toll booth who suspected it was a scam and stopped the mother just as she was about to transfer the money. There have been similar cases targeting folks across the U.S. in recent years. If I didn't do what he said, he would kill my mom. It looked exactly like my sister was calling. It was a man's voice on the other end screaming at me. If somebody told me that wasn't my wife, I'd say you're lying. It's so hard for me to describe to you how real this all sounded. You're in that crisis mode and you immediately want to try to fix it, which in most cases means money. Police say Zhuang's family did just that, ultimately transferring the equivalent of roughly $80,000 into Chinese bank accounts. When they found him, officers say Zhuang asked for two things, to talk to his family in China to be sure they're okay and to eat a warm cheeseburger. So David, as you point out, this type of scam is targeting people all over and the scams are getting more sophisticated now. How so? 
Well, Erica, you hear some of those folks who were victims in the U.S. in particular, and they swear it was their loved one's voice, right? Or that it came from a number that was identical to one of their family members. And the FBI tonight is warning that with AI in particular, these scams are becoming increasingly sophisticated and the impersonations are really difficult to tell from reality. Also, I want to point this out. We just got this uh, a few hours ago, Erica, and this is an update to Zhuang's case in particular. We have just learned that he was under those scammers' control and manipulation for more than a month. He was terrified to tell his family back in China, fearing that their lives would be taken. It's just really disturbing. It is. It is so disturbing. David, really appreciate the reporting. Thank you. Out front next, a packed passenger jet goes up in flames after a deadly collision with a Coast Guard plane. So how did it happen? Tonight, cleared to land. Japan Airlines now saying its crew was given the okay to land by air traffic control before colliding with a Japanese Coast Guard plane. You are looking at what is left of that plane tonight. Uh, Take a watch here as the passenger plane with nearly 400 on board lands, hitting the other plane on the same runway. You see them both burst into flames there. And then the plane, as you can see, continues down the runway before it is eventually just completely engulfed. Now, miraculously, everyone on that flight survived. Five of the six crew on the Coast Guard plane, however, were killed. Will Ripley is out front. A Japan Airlines jet touches down in Tokyo, the cabin calm until passengers look out the windows. We saw fire coming out of the engines, and I found it strange, Satoshi Yamake tells CNN. Within seconds, black smoke billowing through the aircraft. The Airbus A350-900, packed with nearly 400 passengers and crew, including parents with young children. He says some passengers were scared, especially the kids and women. The scene outside, even scarier. People on other planes captured the chaos. And just as we were starting to just pick up some speed, we heard that big bang, and I turned, and I saw that flame that was making a trace, and then we saw the flame that was inflamed. The runway's full for a Tuesday evening. Haneda Airport, in the heart of Tokyo, handling extra holiday traffic, and a Japan Coast Guard plane with six crew members carrying badly needed relief to parts of Japan jolted by a massive 7.5 magnitude earthquake. The quake causing widespread destruction. Dozens of deaths just hours into the new year. Japan's transportation minister says the two planes collided on the runway. The Coast Guard captain badly hurt. Five other crew members killed. A very different outcome for the Japan Airlines jet. With just seconds to spare, 12 crew members safely evacuated all 367 passengers, including eight children under the age of two. Only a handful had to go to the hospital. Everyone walked away as flames fully engulfed the plane. For a nation obsessed with transportation safety, one question, how could the new year begin like this? So, Will, uh, there is new cockpit audio now that details the crew was clear to land. We know there's an investigation underway. What more do we know at this hour? 
Erica, it seems as if this investigation is focusing now on uh, that Japan Coast Guard aircraft. What were they doing on the runway? Did they disregard an instruction from air traffic control or were different people within air traffic control not communicating in the same way to these planes? Because as you said, the pilots in the cockpit of this Airbus A350-900, they got clearance to land, they looked down on the runway and they didn't see that there was another much smaller aircraft on the runway until it was too late, Erica. We'll really appreciate it. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.